0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. everybody, and welcome to Two Off the First. For today, it is Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. I'm Ryan Balangie. Great to have you with us. We are presented by our friends at French Lick Resort. Two stories for you today, as is the usual on the program. One related to a rumor mill that turned out to not produce the right rumor, and something about the future of the Ryder Cup, which I think is going to come increasingly in the focus starting really this week because of the DS Automobiles Italian Open. But first, let's start with the rumor mill that really caught fire yesterday. I mean, there's the, constant about the Live Golf stuff, but I got a DM a couple of days ago from a, a buddy of mine in the industry And I mean, among many people I have a conversation with about live and golf and where this whole thing is headed. And that's a private conversation. But he alerted me to a a tweet from one of the, you know, what you would consider a live bot account. And for those of you who aren't on Twitter and very online like I am and good for you, you shouldn't be. But for those folks who are uninitiated about how the whole live propaganda campaign thing works, so there are a bunch of different accounts. Some of them are obvious bots. They're accounts that are made up. They started like three weeks ago. They have like no profile picture that's tangible. Uh, it's like a name and a billion numbers. And all they tweet about is live and how great it is and how Jay Monahan should resign and how lives better than everybody and, and all, this, all these kind of talking points things. And they're kind of barely in English. Uh, it, it's not very good. And then you've got kind of this series of accounts of people who seem to have sprung up out of nowhere or maybe have been around a little while but have risen to prominence recently because they have quote-unquote sources in live that they're basically feeders that get information whether that's legitimate or not about live from some other source which is probably either live directly or an agent shepherding a player to live or a player itself but more likely it's the the first two it's Live providing the information as part of its campaign or an agent saying, you know, here's what my guys are doing or here's here's what we're doing or here's what we've heard is being done. But there there are enough, I guess, potential sources out there that you could connect with them. But I don't know how you would connect with them, if that makes sense like that. There are several accounts where you're like, I don't even know how you would know any of these people related to live. Cause most of it's usually, most of the, the bios on these guys are usually, I'm just a golf fan who wants equal coverage. And then everything is about how great live is. So you can kind of see through those things, but what was an account? I'll uh, say like UK golf lover or something like that, but something that sounds innocuous. And then you're like, wait, that, this has nothing to do with that. And so this account tweeted, uh, I've heard, basically heard that John Rom, John Rom spelled wrong, J-O-H-N instead of J-O-N, to Live Invitational is a go, and insinuated, uh, pretty much express, expressly said that it was because, uh, you know, they didn't like the, the fact that Rory McIlroy kind of taken over, um. This is kind of the facto leader, playing leader of the PGA tour and didn't like the new schedule that he would be required to play as one of the, you know, the top players in the PIP and and elevated and all that stuff. And he just had enough. He signed with Liv. And then all of a sudden you had a couple of other accounts that have been reporting this stuff, uh, player defections, player moves. Oh, I've heard the same thing or, you know, adding some random context to it that wasn't uh, really accurate. And so you know, all these chirpers are kind of getting together. Oh, I heard it. Oh, I heard it first. And, and the guy who uh, originally tweeted it said, I, "I've never been wrong. Haven't been wrong yet. So you better believe it. It's gonna happen." John Rahm is gone, and uh, you know I, I had some skepticism about it, as did my friend of the industry. And at the same time, you could still—this is how crazy it's gotten—you could still connect the dots. You could still go, yeah, I, I, I could see how it could happen. You know, John Rahm's pretty close to the Mickelsons. Nicholson's obviously a part of it, has been a big recruiter for it. Uh, there's the Arizona, the Arizona State connection. There's part of that. There's the Spaniard connection. There's part of that. And then, but the, then logic takes over, and you go, "What? but why would John Rahm have said everything that he said last week at Wentworth about certain live players that shouldn't be there and even the stalwarts of the European Tour, maybe? It should be there but you know don't feel comfortable about it kind of thing why would he have said all of that if he knew he was going to go to live and you start processing through and go that just doesn't make any sense it would have been one thing if he had done the cam Smith thing or he had done the Brooks Kepka thing and just gotten indignant when asked about some rumor about him going that didn't happen we, we know that's a telltale sign of someone going to live but that didn't didn't happen around. And he was part of kind of United Front publicly, at least ahead of the tournament, with Billy Horschel and Rory McIlroy. So it didn't make sense. And I I thought to myself, how big of an ass would Rahm look like if he had said all of that and then took the money? That doesn't add up. I know John Rahm is a very considerate, um, very smart human being. He thinks about this kind of stuff. He thinks about how he's perceived. He thinks about what he says when he responds to questions. He's very rational. So I, I just couldn't put two and two together. Well, then here comes John Rahm yesterday while I'm out in the golf course in the afternoon. And he says, uh, well, you're, you've now started a new streak. You've got a losing streak going. I'm not going to live. And thank you for the uplift in the player impact program. Because a lot of people were talking about him yesterday because of the rumors that he would be going to live. And, a lovely lovely polite little slam of a guy who probably just heard a rumor from somebody again one of those quote unquote sources one of the ones that we categorized earlier and took it and ran with it and thought this has to be true they're not journalists they're not necessarily people who work in a in a world where they have to have constant scrutiny of their information and i'm not saying every journalist is good at scrutinizing information by the way there are plenty that are bad at it and don't really know how to appreciate what sources are and aren't telling them or how to develop them or how to figure out what's reliable and all that so but it's hard to it's hard to learn that you have to especially for someone who's obviously being fed information by somebody and probably got some of it legitimately and some of it accurately but at a certain point, you got to kind of take the uh, certain bits of information that you get and go, how is this possible? How How is this possible? And for ROM, it just didn't seem plausible. Uh, again, possible, plausible, you know, take your word, but it just didn't make sense at the end of the day. Possible? Sure. But would it re- really add up? No, it wouldn't add up. And because it doesn't add up, you have to you either reject it out of hand or you just don't talk about it until you're surprised. And if it does happen, okay, well, you kind of eat it a little bit. You you might have known. You might have been tipped off and you just weren't willing to go with it. I've had that happen to me plenty of times in my career. Um, over the years of running either Golf News Net or working with Golf Channel or Yahoo Sports or even my blog uh, – <laughs> With SB Nation, um, I mean, just take your pick. And you get information, you go, I don't know if this is true or not. Try to verify it. You get to a point where you're like, I I still don't feel confident running with this. Even if two people told me it. But something just seems off about it. And I've had other times where I've had a source that I knew knew it dead to rights told me something, and I went straight to who I needed to get to uh, for an official comment because they knew and I knew I-, I had the information. So you go through that as kind of a process of learning. I mean, you're, you're taught about that somewhat professionally, but you're also in a, a sport like golf where you you got to maintain relationships. You have to understand that if you put something out there that's shared with you in confidence you might lose that relationship sometimes you're being fed information from certain people as a as a plant like it's a transaction thing like i'm going to give you information you're going to help me by spreading it kind of thing that happens all the time That that's not just a golf thing i mean that's just life so you have to figure that out too sometimes do you want to put information out there that, yes, is accurate, true, it might be newsworthy, but just for the sake of helping someone else and whatever they're trying to clean up or augment or what have you? It's it's difficult. It's really hard to figure out. And so I'm not trying to rationalize for these LivBot guys, but I, I, when you put something out like that, you better have it right. You better have it nailed down and crushed because you're telling me, One of the best players currently in the world and and a U.S. Open champion is going to live golf. If you tell me that, that better be right or you lose all of your credibility immediately and it's over. And that's what that guy experienced yesterday. Now, if he ever says anything again, even if it's right about a player going to live, it's going to be met with scrutiny. Hey, remember that time you said John Rahm was going to live? And that will be forever the response for that person. They might as well just delete their Twitter account. Just again, unfortunate. You can I mean you can have your points of view about live, but if you're gonna to try to be an information source, you can't get it wrong at the first time of asking. So I, I anyway, I thought that was really interesting. It's it's kind of an indication of where we are in this cycle that when we kind of knew the players that were gonna be going to live. I mean, it wasn't all crystal clear. I didn't expect Charles Howell III to go. I didn't think about Cameron Tringali going until the last minute when I heard from several people that he was going to go. Harold Varner III thought he wasn't going to go. Then he does, but then it makes sense. So you've kind of gone through all the people that are likely to go. I mean, not all of them. There's still some out there that could leave. And they're gonna maybe be one one by one individual basis. And they're gonna have to negotiate with Liv for an even bigger contract to leave is probably what's gonna be. I mean, a decky maybe goes for $500 million instead of the rumor $350 million or something. I don't know. But I think we're at the point now where we've pretty much established who's gonna be on which tour for the foreseeable future. And so whatever trickle happens next, it, it might be very much a rumor-based thing instead of reporting-based thing for a lot of these live-connected people. And again, that brings into focus who you should trust. And, and on the, at least the European side of this, it's James Corrigan. On the American side of this, I think it's Bob Harrig who's been willing to kind of be pretty neutral about things. And those are the sources you're going to have. And if anyone else says anything... I wouldn't trust it until you hear from either of those two gentlemen. They're the best at it. Uh, they've got their sources worked. They've, they've staked out a claim on this beat. If you want to learn about the minutiae of live, talk to Alan Shipnick. Might not totally process it the best, but he gets the information. He understands what it means in that moment and will deliver it for you. Those are the three people to trust. So uh, if you're following, I love golf. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on Twitter. Stop it. They don't have information. Please don't do that. Uh, but if you're listening to me, you probably already know that. So interesting story. Just kind of fun to see, I guess, fun slash disconcerting to see what kind of happens in this whole um, this whole environment where you're trying to figure out who's going to make the next move and why and the rationalization that happens when you see something that could happen. And it, it's, it's a very confusing time. Let's just leave it at that. We'll kind of spin that forward a little bit because we've got the DS Automobiles Italian Open this week. That's the DP World Tour stop. So you follow Wentworth, their flagship event, which was reduced to 54 holes because of Queen Elizabeth's passing. And they move to Rome and to Marco Simone Golf Club. Well, Marco Simone is going to host the Ryder Cup next year. And this is the first time the club is hosting the Italian Open. And they're doing that because the Europeans do this. They try to get players to compete in an actual golf tournament at their host sites. So that way, these guys can get together. They can be either be paired together or practice together or strategize together, talk together. I mean, pretty much the whole front of this event is to get ready for the Ryder Cup. Not only in terms for the players, but also for the Rome area, which is going to be a very curious Ryder Cup host because I don't think there's a whole lot of drive In Italy for golf, but the Italian Open does tend to have an interesting draw to it. It usually gets some pretty decent players. Uh, They had, for a couple of years, had a really huge purse um, when you get the Italian government behind it. Now you've got the Ryder Cup coming. So these players are getting a first look at this golf course, and then they're going to try and talk through how they want to set it up with Luke Donald, who is now the European captain, and, and start thinking about this. The process really started with Wentworth in terms of earning points, but now you're in the process of playing this new gol- new to them golf course and trying to figure out what it's going to be like to play in a Ryder Cup environment, which obviously is different than 72-hole stroke play. You're playing either four balls or foursomes, and you got to think your way through that over the course of the week. So there's that facet of this entire thing, and obviously that's all known going into it. So Rory McIlroy, who's the highest ranked player, obviously, in the field, and he's there along with, uh, what well do you got Matt Fitzpatrick and Tyrrell Hatton and, and Victor Hovland. So you got, you know, four guys on the, four guys almost certainly are going to be on the European Ryder Cup team. And they're there trying to figure this place out. And as we're talking, Rory McIlroy has the clubhouse lead in the morning wave, tied with two other guys already in the clubhouse. And he's obviously kind of feeling pretty good about the golf course. And before the tournament, he was kind of asked about the entire situation of the Ryder Cup team, not necessarily in the context of Liv, although I guess you could interpret it that way, but just tried to talk about where the European Ryder Cup team is, especially coming off of a 19-9 loss at Whistling Straits last time around. And I think McElroy put it pretty well, and I think that's a, a his assessment is similar to what I would say and probably a lot of other people would say about where the European Ryder cup team was even before the live stuff happened. And that is that it was time for a change. And you could see it in the faces of the guys that have been a rock for the European Ryder cup side for so long for Ian Poulter, who got super emotional for Lee Westwood, who got super emotional Sergio Garcia to a degree got super emotional. You've got these players who have been a part of this team for 20, 25 years. And they're up there in age now. They they were either a part of the team in their early 20s and stuck with it for the most of their career, if mm-hmm. not all of it. I mean, Westwood kind of had his down phase, but then obviously came back and after a little bit of time in the in the desert became a, a key European figure for a decade, decade and a half. But those guys are now in their 40s, late 40s, early 50s. And all, all of a sudden, those players are not relevant to the Ryder Cup anymore, because what's on the other side with the Americans is a bunch of sh- relatively young, if not actually young, bombers who hit the crap out of the ball, who are playing golf in a modern style, and are just gonna maul you if you're a short knocker who hits a 275 and has to hit five and six irons into every green. And so McElroy said Wednesday, "I think we're kind of in a mm. in a rebuild." And he used the word rebuild with the European team. And I I think he's absolutely right. They've got to figure out the next generation of the Ryder Cup. And you've got, as I mentioned, those guys pretty well defined, at least so far. You mean, you've got McElroy, you've got Hovland, you've got Rahm, you've got Fitzpatrick. You could say Hatton. I think you could say Fleetwood. He's starting to kind of figure it out again. But you've got to figure out the future. And what does that look like? And I think what the end result is going to be come 2023, and by the time Luke Donald finishes setting up this team, which, by the way, I mean he has a ton of captain's picks, but he's going to set up a team that's going to be younger, substantially younger and substantially inexperienced, particularly com- compared to the Americans. And the Americans are going to lose some bodies too, right? I don't imagine a situation where live players are going to be eligible to compete in the Ryder Cup. They're just, first of all, they're not going to earn points. They can't earn points. It's all done through the PGA Tour. So unless there's somehow a captain's pick, I suppose, which is possible, um, but unlikely. So you're looking at a situation where you're going to lose Brooks Kepka, You're going to lose Dustin Johnson. Well, uh, I mean, okay, that's fine. But I don't know that you're necessarily you know, losing everything there. Uh, in the farm, especially with Dustin Johnson getting older. I mean, he's closer to me in age than Scotty Scheffler, and I'm almost 40. I mean, he, I think he's, what, 38 now. And Kepka's getting up there in his mid-30s, obviously has some injury problems uh, he's been dealing with, and probably playing part-time golf helps that to a degree. But And then you don't have Tiger Woods really part of it anymore. I mean, that that is long gone. Uh, obviously, Phil Mickelson is done, but he wasn't really part of it anyhow. So that, that transition, had kind of already happened on the American side. So now it's the turn for the Europeans. To make their transition and they're going to have to figure out who their stalwarts are going to be and i don't know that they have the clear answers about that right now but i think that's kind of exciting i think that's what's going to make this move forward is the americans had to figure out their next generation well they got them now now the europeans got to figure out their next generation and can they figure it out in effectively 12 months time from now if they can do that then they've got a chance if they can't, they're going to get walloped on home soil, and it's going to be the first time since 1993 that the Americans have won abroad, which would be a huge accomplishment for them, and also a watermark in the series. So there's a lot to think about, a lot to grow from here uh, in the next couple of Ryder Cups. Things are going to change. The Ryder Cup is changing, and I think that's a good thing because that, that kind of lines up pretty nicely with Live. but the Ryder Cup is changing. The next generation of this event is coming, and hopefully it's just as exciting as the last generation has been even as painful as it may have been for American fans who are used to just crushing the Europeans in the the, really second generation of the Ryder cup. So now we're getting into depending on how you want to argue it third or fourth generation of the Ryder cup. And hopefully for a new generation of fans, that means some really compelling changes, some compelling players and great matchups. But I think McElroy is right. He has set the tone properly. The, The Ryder cup needs a little bit of a, a rebuild on the European side and Luke Donald may be the guy to help usher that into a degree. That's going to do it for us on today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you listen to us through service that gives you a chance to give us a review, please give us a five star review helps out helps us reach more people. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter for the most part. Handle is Ryan Ballinger. You can follow golf news net on your favorite social media service at the handle golf news net. We'll see you tomorrow.